Hi, we have a great podcast with Uku Tamikas of Misante, who are based in Estonia. We talk about a wide range of topics, including what Misante does and how it grew as a company. Uku talks about his surprising educational background and lets us know what he was known as a national champion for, and I'm pretty sure you never will guess what it is. We also talk about what it is like to live in Estonia with the current international situation while being an artillery platoon commander in the Estonian Army Reserves, and what that means for all Estonians. Finally, we hear what music Uku likes, and we play out on one of the, his favourite songs from a well-known band. I know you'll enjoy Uku's energy and his strong sense of where he is today. The podcast is sponsored by Natser. Can you increase customer acquisition while maintaining 10% of your normal retail costs? Well, you can. Would you like a 90 time anywhere channel? Yes, you can have that too. But most interestingly, you can onboard SME companies legally as well as individuals. So contact Netzer for our solution. Oh, don't worry about it. It's not an easy name to pronounce either. <laughs> Even the Estonians fuck it up all the time. Like I have a, <laughs> I have a more rare version of a super rare or, or a super common name in Estonia, which is the the more common name is Doming, which is pretty much a tree in Estonia. Um, and then, which is very close to Domingas, so everybody assumes it's Domingas. So it, it so it gets pretty much like poorly spelled or 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 miswritten or mispronounced all the time like my teachers in school couldn't pronounce my name pro like properly so <laughs> well okay let's for, for the listeners um i'm talking to uku tamakash who is based in estonia and he has a company called mesente have i got that right yuku yes exactly okay and uh you guys are is it are we fair to say you're SMS aggregators or do you do provide a bigger range of services beyond that? So I think that being like an SMS aggregator is is, is a fairly accurate description. I mean, we do uh, Viber and some other sort of chat apps and stuff like that as well. But SMS is still the main thing that makes the money. And at the end of the day, that's kind of the, kind of the bread and butter of our business uh, and doing it in a sense. Uh, for a fairly long time, we pretty much focused on enterprise only. So focusing on making sure that local enterprises get their needs covered, focusing more narrowly on, on the Baltics where we're from and then the Scandi area that's, just, that's sort of like a natural extension of the Baltics sure. because the operator and the operator groups are the same. But then over time, the thing that happens with like small companies quite often uh, from like the Baltic region is that you know, the market is so small. Estonia is 1.3 million people. So if you want to build some sort of any sort of a realistic large business, going to have to expand outward. And Estonia has been super successful in that. Unicorns, which makes us the biggest amount of unicorns per capita of, of anywhere oh, yeah. in the world. Yeah. But, you know, Bolt is one of ours. Wise is one of ours. Skype was founded in Estonia. So there's a ton of these companies that, that come straight from here. And then... You know, with that, if you are providing services for Bolt in Estonia, you start together with them at one point in time, they start having a global reach. So we need to have a global reach as well. So we've grown with our customers to go from being sort of this local aggregator to now having the global reach, having global, global enterprises, working with them, working with, you know, name drop companies at times like DHL or IKEA or Bentley or whatever. So there's a whole range of stuff that we work with because of that. 
And then, of course, at one point in time, it just became natural to also start, um, you know, what we call trading with all of the major players in the area as well. And it just makes sense if you're one of the biggest players in your own local region that especially if the region is small, that usually means that there's going to be a big aggregator who's going to be interested in working with you rather than working with, you know, the local operators there for ultimately not that much benefit to them. So, so we started leveraging that and that's how Macenta has grown over time and, and um, sort of expanded its reach and become the, become the company it was and, and is today. I came into Macenta more than six years ago. Okay. Um, I came in as a pretty much a junior sales rep and then worked my way up to now being a, a board man, member and a, and a shareholder and running the connectivity division, which is pretty much rooting customer service, partner relations, procurement, and wholesale. Right. So, so um, is, is your background, yeah. do you, would you consider yourself a sales and marketing guy or general management guy? What do you, how would you describe This is a good question. So I've had both, you know, ever since um, I've been you know, realistically, ever since I finished high school, actually midway through high school, I started working. Um, I started working as as pretty much uh, uh, like a shouter or a street salesman in a local medieval restaurant in Tallinn. <laughs> Worked there for like four years, did everything from busting tables to hosting events to doing stuff like that. Um, and then ever, you know, every single time I end up, ever since the end of high school, every single time I end up, a group of people, I tend to assume or naturally acquire a leadership position from one point or another, being like uh, the senior of our fraternity for a long time, and then um, then doing my mandatory army service and actually becoming a platoon commander and a second lieutenant in the Estonian Defense Force as a as a artillery platoon commander. Then coming out we'll, of the, we'll come back to that later because yeah. it's a really interesting story. But yeah, no, yeah. You're, you're naturally yeah. you're naturally a um, I'm sure you work with other people in your group who you consider leaders, but you yourself yeah. are naturally a leader as well. Yeah, I, I guess is what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. I tend to, tend to gravitate towards that. And since I do consider myself fairly good with the gab, you know, I've got the gift of the gab. So I, I tend to tend that. to. I can confirm that, Uku, right now, if you have any doubt about it. Exactly. So I tend to gravitate towards sales because, you know, it, it, it just becomes a, a natural part of me. I think it comes from, I used to be a, a champion declamator uh, in Estonia. I started like pretty much reciting poetry and then prose from, I think, the first grade in competitions. Is that something? Is that like spelling bee in America or something like that? Where it's 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 kind of, but in the spelling bee, you're pretty much focusing on on just spelling of the words. Sure. But declamation is like how well can you recite a piece of prose or a piece of poetry? Like how well can you do it? Can you be as articulate as possible? Can you do it with as much with as much emotional uh, emotion and poise and eloquence hey, as can possible? Can you do something right now in English? You just uh, maybe a couple of lines, not the full. That's a good thing to put me on the spot with. Uh, no, yeah, what I would be say a good this is going to be easy. You could say. Yeah, <laughs> no. If you can't uh, remember anything. Oh wait, wait. Actually, I won't remember it. But there is something that I've I've always right liked. Um, I do get uh, you, I do get your point though. I would make you confident about communicating. So. Um, I'll read you a few lines from uh, from one of my. I'll read the last paragraph of one of my favorite poems, which is uh, "If" by Rudyard Kipling. Oh, of course, yes, beautiful poem. Yeah, so it's something along the lines of if you're trying to do it, 
do it, something like this. So if you can talk with crowds and keep your virtue or walk with kings nor lose the common touch, if neither foes nor loving friends can hurt you, if all men count with you, but none too much, if you can fill the unforgiving minute with 60 seconds worth of distance run, yours is the earth and everything that's in it. And which is more, it'll be a man, my son. Oh, well read. Yeah, yeah. We had that poem on the wall in our house. It's my dad's favorite poem, but um, that was well, well read. I like it. Um, so, okay, definitely believe you on that after, after that. <laughs> yeah, so I used to do that for, I think, like 11 years. I became the national champ at that. And then ever since then, anything that's required me to sort of speak publicly or um, yeah. I teach public speaking as well. And then it was sort of like a natural transition to move into something where that would be a benefit right yeah yeah so my choices were pretty much going to like acting school or going to study law uh, because i was like both of those were were kind of a thing for me but the acting school accepted uh candidates one year later than the law school after high school so i decided you know screw it i'll become a judge right um went to law school did my ba um, three years, got out, realized I never want to do law again, <laughs> got my law degree. And that's when I went into the army uh, because the mandatory service is a thing where you're eligible to do your mandatory service between the years of 18 and 27. Mm-hmm. They don't take you before 18 and then they don't take you after 27. But during, in the period of, of that, like what is nine years, they can call you up whenever. So the best thing you can do is go voluntarily because then you choose the time when you go. And usually when you go voluntarily, you also have the option of either doing eight months or 11 months. Okay. The difference is if you do eight months, then you can only pretty much the highest you can become is a corporal. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, the best thing you'll become is something like um, um, a squad com- squad commander's aide or, or second in the squad or uh, a cider on the guns or something like that. You know, you'll do... Uh, uh, a position like that. But if you do 11 months, you can either become a driver because drivers usually go through like an extended um, thing. And then you become, you actually can get your truck driver's license. You can get a CE or DE in the Estonian right, army if right. you're doing that. So it's actually fairly useful. You want to get a truck driver's license, do the army thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, or the alternative is you go into the, the leadership track, which means you either become a squad commander, platoon commander, or a battery commander's A, so battery second in command. So okay. that those are, yeah. Okay, okay. So just um, for people, now, Estonia is right up against Russia, and we know the current situation. What's it mm-hmm. like being Estonian today? What's the mood, um, you know, is there concern? What do you think? What's your reading of the situation? So it's interesting. It really falls into two categories for most people. If you talk about how we feel about being next to Russia. One, we're always paranoid, obviously. And, you know, the situation in Ukraine just reaffirmed that paranoia to be true. Um, we, we've been talking about it for years upon years upon years that this will happen and this is a possibility. And usually everybody in Europe went, you know, you're being a little bit paranoid, potentially Russophobic. And now this is one of those moments when we go, see, we told you, okay. listen to us. Um, but, you know, it, 
when the first attacks happened on Ukraine and when the war started, the tension definitely got very high. A lot of us were thinking, okay, so, you know, are we going to leave? Are we going to stay? What are we going to do? How are we going to play this out? Most families went through this, um, how we're going to do this. You know, I'm a military commander in reserve, which means that if a war breaks out, I have to be there. But at the same time, I have two small kids and a wife and they need me as well. So you have to really weigh your options of what you're going to do at the end. And then um, then it sort of has died down up until this point in time because, you know, uh, you just get used to the situation and you see it isn't escalating to the degree that we thought. It isn't, you know, a clean sweep of Ukraine. Ukrainians are doing an amazing job and actually beating them back and, and causing massive damage to the Russian army, which also means that the likelihood of attacking us is that much smaller because their military forces have been depleted more. But uh, I think it was yesterday when it came in the news, um, a report of a Russian exercise um, held in not too far from the borders, you know, within, within you know, reasonable range um, that was depicted as a practice exercise uh, of targeting the Baltics. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. What it would look like if they were doing maneuvers right in the Baltic territory. Mm-hmm. That's scary. Right. Uh, ultimately, and that kind of raises that anxiety level by by a fair bit as well. Being on this border and thinking about that, so there's a lot of tension. And and can you say what you do in the army? Uh, feel free to say what you think, or not say if you don't want to. I don't mind. Uh, but I think it might be interesting for people in the rest of Europe who, especially us, we're miles away. Um, you know what? What would you actually have to do if you're called up? So if I was called up, I would be expected to, within 24 hours, show up to the mobilization point. From there on out, I would probably, within like an 8 to 12-hour period after that 24-hour window, we would be rolling out. I would be rolling out with my platoon. My platoon's about 45 guys, uh, four howitzers, all of the necessary additional equipment. So probably eight, seven vehicles, my howitzers, my 45 men. And then pretty much we'd immediately move to some area to um, get our weapons sighted, get everything ready, get the gear checked, get everything done. And then it's off to the races. And it's it's scary being in the artillery because uh, Russia is a very artillery heavy army. They're very much reliant on their heavy weapons, very much reliant on their artillery, and they're very good at counter artillery. The yeah. counter artillery, artillery is pretty much the action where they will detect where the artillery shells came from and they'll fire immediately back. So what we do and what we practice a lot is fire and run, mm-hmm. which is pretty much you go to a position, you get the gun sighted in like a few minutes, you fire and you bugger off as, quick, as quickly as you possibly can. So you're doing a lot of this fire and movement type of drills. And that's why we try to be as nimble as possible. Um so that's what I would. That's what I could be expected to do yeah. at that point. Yeah. Well, yeah, it definitely makes it real when you think about that. I mean, you're it's obviously literally your lives and your men's lives, and um, you have family as well. So you can see it's for you know for people in Western Europe, it's a bit theoretical at the moment. Um, you see, you know, you're right, literally on the front line. So, okay, well, look, we can't be. We're still here. We're still working away. We're still enjoying life. And uh, let's get on to music. You, you're a music man, are you? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I love my music. What sort of, what sort of, well, there's a joke, there's a sort of a, you know, that standard phrase, what are your influences? You know, what, what sort of music do you like the best? 
So ever since I was uh, uh, was a kid, I started getting into like heavier music. So metal has always been my thing for a really long time. But when, ever since I've gotten older, it has mellowed out a little bit, going from like the really hardcore stuff to like more mellower stuff. Um, these days, I guess like the main thing that I would jam out to is something like the Foo Fighters. Okay. Um, so kind of like a, like a more of like a hard rock style. If I'm ever into metal, I'll listen to something like Disturbed, really popular, especially like these days they've gone down uh, as well a more like a mellower path. A lot of the, a lot of the bands that I started listening to, let's say 10, 15 years ago, have mellowed out in their style as well. Yeah, started say, say, really say. sort of metally and then mellowed out. And it's the same thing for me as well. This, this uh, Sound of Silence. That, um, yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah, okay. They're the ones that did. Yep, the, they did the sound designs. And the Baltics and the think uh, Nordics are big for for thrash metal and so on, pretty heavy stuff. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. We 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 have a really famous festival in Estonia, which is called um, Hard Rock Hard Rock Camp, which is pretty much just a bunch of hairy people getting together with tents <laughs> for like three days and having like a massive rock festival, or, like, a metal <laughs> festival. Yeah, we we tend to be. I think it's a, it's quite influenced by the Finns as well. Finns are very very into their metal. And I guess it's one of those things where, you know, when you're in this sort of like a more cold, more, let's, let's be honest, a bit crap weather area, you start <laughs> getting into, you know, this, this, this kind of music. Estonians, I think, can be described by being rather calm, but also known by their fairly dry sense of humor. Like we're we're not really we don't shy away from sarcasm or irony or or being a little bit a little bit coy and and not too over jealous. I think it's uh, our CEO once that did the best description of, of the differences between like an American and an Estonian. So an American goes to like an event, comes back, they ask you know how was the event? It's like oh it's the best event ever. We saw this, we did that. It was amazing. And then an Estonian goes back and goes it was okay. <laughs> that's the best you'll get uh, it was okay it was okay it's kind of like you know, it it's was okay. amazing that's that's pretty much you know that's that's the ceiling right which yeah it's okay i like that that's so, great yeah. that's a great description of the national character right i guess you have yeah. to be cool under fire there literally with him and what what, what track would you like to play out with Uka? what what do you have in mind i think the best track to go with is foo fighters uh, sky in the neighborhood okay great track Yep, I like that. It's it's one of the last ones. Though, you know, Foo Fighters these days have a little bit of sadness going on with them as well, with yeah, their drummer yeah. dying. So, uh, but yeah, also Dave Grohl's book, Storyteller, is a really good lead. If ever yeah, yeah, he's a great character, isn't he? He's sort of like um, very uh, humane. He's not a big, big EO rock star. He's very much, yeah. uh, you know, I'm here for a good time. I hope you are too, sort of guy, but good man. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I especially like the stories that he had in the in the book as well, where he talked about his time in Nirvana and the way that you know them basically being kids were thrust into this limelight and this exposure that was so incredibly rapid. The, like the growth rate of Nirvana was was ridiculous. They were from nothing to world famous in fairly an instant. So. Um, it was very, very interesting to read those things and understand a little bit more and how Dave Grohl managed to keep himself humble throughout all of that and being a globally known rock star throughout all of that. But, you know, yeah, no, some people do it well. He's great. Now, listen, Oku, thanks for being on the podcast. And uh, here come the Foo Fighters.
glory burn, the star burned out. Someone come 